All right. Good morning, family. Hope everybody's doing well today. You guys doing okay, even though it's raining outside? Hey, it's cooling down, though. How many of you guys are thankful that we actually get some cooler weather? I'll take some rain if it comes to some cooler weather. Well, as Jarrett mentioned, uh, we are starting a series. It's a series that we do every year, and it's our favorite series where we talk about the vision that God has given us. We call it TAGS, the Arkansas that God sees, but in reality, it's also become the church that God sees because we're not just here in Arkansas anymore. We have a campus down in Palm Beach. Now, as soon as I say that, some of y'all start praying to me, like, I think the Lord's calling me to that vision. Like, the Lord's calling me to that campus. I feel that right now. Like, wouldn't, we, wouldn't the Lord want me to serve him on the beaches? There's so many lost people on the beaches. That may be true, but he is not calling you there. He's called you right here, so get it out of your head right now, all right? Uh, but the, the Arkansas that God sees, this vision, um, this is where we talk about where we've been, what we're doing, but more importantly, what we believe God is calling us to do next. Uh, and it's important that we're always moving forward into what God has for us. There's a quote I read this last week from George Bernard Shaw. Uh, this man, towards the end of his life, he was asked the question, if he could live life again, what would he want to be? And he answered it this way, I would like to be the man I never was. I would like to be the man I never was. And I think that's a really interesting answer to that question because it made me think about my life. It made me realize, like, how important it is that I'm living life in such a way where I have no regrets, where I'm not looking back on what I might have missed or what I might have not done for God, but that I can really look back and say, I, I did everything that I could for God. And I, and I know that there's areas that I have missed God personally. But I think as a church, we want to be a church where we're living in such a way and operating in such a way within the vision and rhythms of God's grace that we are accomplishing everything that he has for us so that when we stand before our Heavenly Father someday, he can say, good done, my well, my, or well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and, and we can look back and say, we have no regrets. We did everything that God asked us to do. I think it's important, though, that we walk in a place of understanding God's grace like he's forgiven us. How many of you guys are thankful for the grace of God on your life? Come on, we don't deserve anything that he gives us, but he showers his grace, his forgiveness on us so that our stories become testimonies. So we don't look back with regret, but we look back with thankfulness because we realize, man, God has sure loved us a lot and covered us. But I think that it's important in some respects that as individuals and as people, that, that some parts of who we are, have, we have short-term memory. Short-term memory. You know, we talk about quarterbacks, for instance. It's, they say it's good for a quarterback to have a short-term memory because every once in a while he's going to throw a pick. If, if you're an Arkansas fan, it's going to happen a lot. But, but he's going to throw a pick or something's going to happen, and they'll say, man, it's good for them to have a short-term memory because you want to forget about the mistake that you made so you can think about what you need to do next to get it back on track. And I think in a lot of respects, that's what the Lord would want us to be as a church. Like, we don't want to be a church that's constantly thinking about the good or bad that we've accomplished because if we do that, we could miss out on what God has for us next. Like he wants us to be thinking about what is happening now, what's happening next. So I think in some respects, God is calling some of you, not necessarily to forget your past, but let it become a testimony. But don't focus on the faults and the failures or even the successes, but ask God, God, but what now? What do you want to do in my life right now? Reminds me of a Boudreaux joke. You guys okay with a Boudreaux joke this morning? Okay. I'm not a Cajun, but I love Boudreaux jokes because, I, because it's fun to make fun of Cajuns. But, but Boudreaux, Boudreaux went to the doctor and he got all these tests done. He was really concerned about his health. And the doctor came back and said, Boudreaux, I have really bad news for you. I got bad news for you. Um, you have cancer. 
And you have a terrible memory, horrible memory. And Boudreaux says, well, at least I don't have cancer. Some of y'all will get that later. We got a lot of Cajuns in the room, apparently. We have seen God do so many amazing things in our life. But I don't want to stay there. I don't want to focus there. I want to see what is next. I think we as a church, we have to know what that is, and we have to do it together. This doesn't happen without all of us doing it together. So I want to read a couple of verses to you this morning. The first one is in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, it's not that I've already reached the goal or have already completed the course. Okay, that course for us, for, for us, for us as a church, is the vision. Like, what has God given us? We haven't finished that yet. But I run to win that which Jesus Christ has already won for me. Man, that is such an encouraging part of this verse because a lot of us, we're missing out and what God has for us, because we, we still think it's about our ability to strive. It's our ability to work harder. It's our ability to do good that somehow earns God's grace, his provision, his purpose in our lives. But Jesus already won that on the cross. We just have to walk in that. We just have to walk in the grace and the forgiveness of that to stay on the course that God has for us. But we've got to be on the right course. We've got to be running our race. Brothers and sisters, I cannot consider myself a winner yet. This is what I do. I don't look back. I forget about that. And I lengthen my stride. I love that. He's saying, look, I I want more faith. I want more vision. I I want more dedication. I want more ownership and personal responsibility, God, to what you're asking me to do. And I run straight ahead towards the goal to win the prize that God's heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. Another verse in Ephesians 2.19. And I think this, this applies to every person in this place in regards to your part, what God is trying to do in all of us. It says this, chapter 2, verse 19, the kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. For every person that has called on Jesus as their Lord and Savior, no matter what your past, no matter what your hang-up, no matter what your issue, when you've called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have just as much right to be a Christ follower, to be called a Christian as anybody else. You belong to that. You belong to that. God is building a home and he's using all of us irrespective of how we got here. And what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Some big hitters. I'm thankful they're the foundation. But now he's using you. Everybody's saying me. He's fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. This is built by God. It's built by God. It's not built by, by ministries. It's not built by programs. It's not built by talent. It's not built by good preaching. It's not even built by good worship. It's built by the presence of God. God is building this. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quiet at home. Man, I love that. I just want to be a church where God wants to hang out a lot. 
There's nothing more important than the presence of God. And quite honestly, I would get rid of everything. I would get rid of everything. I mean, I would burn this building to the ground if that's what it took to still have the presence of God. Because there's nothing more important than Him. Him being around us. But all of us fit into this picture. All of us are a brick. You're a part. You're a part of creating that place. Some of the stats, and these stats are, these numbers, man, even as I read some of these things, you're, it's unbelievable. Like when I read it, it's hard for me to believe, and I've seen it, so I know it's real, I know it's true, but it still seems crazy. Some of the things that God has done in the last 16 years through New Life Church, we've seen over 70,000 decisions for Christ. 70,000 decisions. Okay. 70,000 decisions. Come on. We've seen over 30,000 water baptisms. People going public with their decision to follow Jesus. Now here's the thing. That could just feel like an arbitrary number to you, but at the... The reality is this, at one point or another, that was a name. That was somebody you knew or that was you. And at one point or another, you peeked during the altar call to see if that friend that you invited raised their hand, and they did, and they're a part of that number. At one point or another, you saw somebody get water baptized. I'll tell you what, this is a lot more than just an arbitrary number to me. Because two little boys named Corbin and Reeves Bennett were a part of that number this last year. Those are names, and those are souls, and that is purpose, and that is destiny. That is what that is about. And God is doing amazing things, stories that are coming around, and marriages that are being healed and restored, and all these things. And there's so many big numbers, but what do we aim at as a church the truth is the only reason why we, had a cra- we have a crowd is not because we aim at the crowd. We have a crowd because we aim at souls. And when souls find their value and their purpose in God, they just seem to want to gather together with more souls that have found their value and purpose in God. That is what heaven is going to be. Heaven is going to be crowded. And every once in a while I hear somebody say, I just don't really care for big churches. I'm like, oh, what you... You have never driven by a hospital and said, that hospital is just too big. There's just way too many sick people in that hospital. (laughs) Well, church is a place for people that are spiritually broken and dying. So we want it to be full. But what do we aim at? We aim at souls. Souls. Every salvation, every baptism has a name. God has given us a lot of favor. God has given us a lot of vision for our state, our nation, even abroad, even on missions trips. And I have absolutely loved being a part of it for 13 years. I love it. Every role that I've gotten to play, I especially love being your pastor. I'm so humbled and thankful. I tell people, man, most days I wake up and I feel like the ugly kid at prom. I'm just happy to be here. I know I don't deserve it. Like, I know, I know it's not because of anything that I've done, but I'm just thankful that God would pick me to do anything. And I love you more than I ever have before. And some of you, you're all really difficult. 
It's a pastor. But I love you just as much. The biggest decisions of my life, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then marrying Cody. One of the scariest decisions I ever made in my life was moving to Arkansas. Moving to Arkansas from Colorado. Like, I'm thankful that the first day we set foot here is the first day we moved here. Otherwise, we might have talked ourselves out of it. But once we got here, we're like, we're here. This is it. But we, here's the thing. Like, we didn't have kids when we first moved here. We knew, though, that when we gave our lives and our hearts over to this vision, like, our kids are going to be born in Arkansas. Which that wasn't too concerning because we understand how genetics work. And my wife is beautiful, so I knew they were going to turn out all right. But we couldn't account for who they would eventually marry. (laughs) And we had heard stuff like, yeah, people in Arkansas, man, they got 11 teeth and three of them are in their pocket. Like, (laughs) we heard somebody say, yeah, the toothbrush was invented in Arkansas because if it was invented anywhere else, it would have been called the teeth brush because there's more in most other places. And we just didn't want to have ugly grandkids. We moved here and realized, okay, some of that is true. (laughs) But we know that most of it is not. Moving to Cabot was scary. And the first day we rolled into Cabot, we were looking around. We were like, okay, is that a gas station, a bank, or a car dealership, or a Mexican food restaurant? Like, which one is it? And the answer was yes. <laughs> yes. Y'all know it's true now. <laughs> hey, hey, we have made some drastic improvements, though. We have a Marshalls, people. Come on, we have a Marshalls. I'll tell you what, when Marshalls opened their door, my wife was weeping. God, you are fulfilling your promises. Thank you, Jesus. Just like emotional about it. God has done a lot. He's done a lot in our church. It's been amazing to be a part of Honestly, when we first moved here, though, there was all kinds of cheese factor, even on our church. Like, we may not have seen it. We thought, like, man, this is cutting edge. We're, we're on the cutting edge of stuff. Like, when we first moved here, there were pastors on staff and even worship pastors at that point that were wearing pleated dockers and turtlenecks. Like, even on the worship team. Now all the worship team wearing tight jeans and V-necks and having babies. I don't know how anybody can have that many babies wearing tight jeans like that. It's a miracle of God, but, but God has like helped us be relevant. But it's because of His Spirit. It's not because of our effort. It's just the presence of God. When we first moved here, how many of y'all remember what dial-up internet was like? You remember that? Like we're trying to, you imagine, like we're trying to get church work done. Send emails and stuff. But every time you got connected, we got a sound bite. Y'all remember what this sounds like? Here's the worst part. I mean, you could use the bathroom, make coffee, read the paper, and you still wouldn't be online. You'd have to wait that long. You know, some of you young people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, take your smartphone, throw it in the toilet. Take it out, put it in a bag of rice. By the time it dries out, 
get online. That's what it was like for us every time we wanted to get online to do anything, ever. We had ficus trees all over the place. Fake plastic trees up on stage. We're like, oh, yeah, that is cool. Look how pretty they are. By the grace of God, he delivered us from all of that. But we never knew what started in the living room of our league pastors, Rick and Michelle. That's how this church started. It started with people gathering together in a living room, dreaming about what church could be. Eating chocolate chip cookies and drinking coffee and just saying, what do we like about church? What don't we like about church? What kind of church would we want to go to? We never knew that what started in that living room now is meeting in living rooms all over the state. People are talking about the things of God and his plans and his purposes. We never knew that we, God would bless us. That in over 16 years, we've been able to give more than $15 million to missions worldwide. We never knew that God would help us to do that. We, never, we, didn't, we, we knew eventually that we were supposed to have more campuses, but we didn't know we'd have 17 campuses in 16 years. Campuses in Fayetteville. We have two campuses in Fort Smith, Clarksville, Russellville, Conway, Greenbrier, Hot Springs, Heber Springs, Searcy, Beebe, two in Little Rock, Pine Bluff, Palm Beach. Get it out of your mind. <laughs> Soon to be in Saline County. In a couple months, we're going to have another campus in Mayflower. And of course, here in Cabot, like this last year has been crazy. We planted five new campuses just this last year. Those weren't things that we were trying To aim at, it just was God helping us and leading us. We never saw campuses growing so fast that they're standing room only. There's a couple of campuses right now. they standing room only. No room left in the parking lot at all. No space. We didn't know that that was going to happen. It's crazy. It's crazy that some of these campuses, how many people are coming? Guys... There are over 450 people going to the campus in Beebe, Arkansas. Like most people don't even know where Beebe, Arkansas is. We got over 700 people going to our campus in Greenbrier. So it's just, that is weird. That is like a third grader with a full beard. It doesn't make sense. Like we're looking at this like, God, what are you up to? But what do we aim at? Souls. Individuals. The church that God sees is for people to respond to the call of salvation. That's the Arkansas God sees. It's a church where people can respond to the call of salvation. I want to ask you a simple question. What moves your heart? Like what moves you? What is moving you in your life with everything that's going on? Like what moves you from your core that you're passionate about that you could weep over because of how heavy the burden is for you? Because I want to tell you, I've never been more hungry for souls. I've never been more hungry for the Lord, but I've never been more hungry for the harvest. Like I want to just see people. And if there's one thing that I would love to see in all of you is for you to have a major burden for the loss. Like when you're walking through Walmart, you see individuals and the Holy Spirit is is stirring in you, asking you questions like, 
What's happening in their lives? What pain? What difficulties are they facing? What's their story? And for you to be open to maybe him opening a conversation where you just love on them a little bit and show that you care about them. Invite them to church. Be burdened for the loss. Because Jesus, he did this all the time. So many stories where he would leave crowds to pursue people that nobody else wanted to pursue. At one point, he walked 26 miles to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And this guys, these people were straight up heathens. The amount of sin and perversion that was happening in this place. They actually worshipped the God named Pan. They worshipped goats. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but there was, there was a lot of bestiality that was happening around this place, this culture, this city. And Jesus went there to show people grace and to show people love and to show them their worth and their value in the kingdom of God. And I want to be a church that's willing to go to the least of these, but also the worst of these. And that nobody's sin intimidates us and keeps us from reaching out and loving them. That's the kind of church that God sees. But I don't always have that grace. Like if it were me, if it were me, and I, and I was like an angel, and God turned the angel and said, hey, what do y'all think we should do with Philippi? I'd be like, nuke it. Nuke it. Vaporize that place. Like, that's what they deserve. Let the lower angels sort out the dust, God, but I don't think they deserve to exist anymore. Because I don't really have the grace. But when I remember the grace for me, out of the overflow of that, oh, there isn't any sinner that I wouldn't be willing to go and love on. Not because of me, but because I know clearly what God did for me. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 9. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I would wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, for those of my own race. I, I don't know about you, but I've never prayed that prayer. I've never been like, okay, God, God I, am, I am willing to go to hell if it means somebody else gets saved. And let's just be honest, most of us have not prayed that prayer. <laughs> and God, God's not asking us to, to say that prayer. You can turn to your neighbor and say, not me. Because that's not, but he is asking us to be that tore up about the lost. About people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. The problem is... The problem is some of us can't even turn off Netflix long enough to walk across the street to our neighbor to show them how much God loves them, how valuable they are to the kingdom of God. I'm guilty of that too. But the church that God sees is a church where people see like an opportunity for salvation has got to be the most important thing we do to give that to people. 
I've done a lot of weddings over the year. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Man, I, I don't, probably a couple hundred at this point. And I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, it used to be that the whole focus was on the bride. All the focus is on the bride. And like the groom is like an afterthought. Oh, oh yeah, she's marrying someone. But now it's like, I think probably because of photography and social media in the last five to six years, like that's changed. Now it's like, they'll look at the bride like, okay, bride, great. Instagram. And then they'll like turn to the groom. Okay, is he crying? Is he emotional? Is he sensitive enough? Because that's an indicator of whether the marriage is going to work or not. But I, I've, I've had grooms that like, they just lose focus. Some of them are just so nervous. Like this has happened before where they're just so nervous. Like they can't repeat after me. Like we make it really easy, but they couldn't even repeat. Like repeat after me, I take you so-and-so to be my beloved wife. I've had to stop. Okay, let's pray. Peace in Jesus' name. Like, just get this back together. Another time, this is really bad. And I won't use actual names. But let's just say her name was Lisa and his name was Joe. And while Joe was doing his vows, he called Lisa Debbie. Okay, how many of y'all know that that wedding got a little awkward? (laughs) Really quickly, I'm like, I don't know how to turn this. I just pretended like it didn't happen. (laughs) But there was some counseling that had to happen later, trust me. They made it by the grace of God. But this is what I want you to know. God has never forgotten your name. You are the bride of Christ. His focus is completely on you. He has never forgotten what to say about you. His word over you is yes and amen. His word over you is you are called for a purpose and a plan. You are above and not beneath. His vow for you is still as strong as it's ever been. He is focused on the bride and he is concerned about the bride getting healthy, getting clean, and he's concerned about the bride growing. He notices, the groom notices every time a hand is raised, every time a prayer is prayed, he notices. He is all about his bride. And he is coming back for a bride that was without stain, blemish, or wrinkle. We aren't there yet, but by the grace of God, this church is going to help the bride get ready for the groom. That's what we're going to do. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still do now, for your faith is built on this wonderful message. And it is this good news that saves you if you firmly believe it. That's a qualifier. Like, it's going to save you, but you've got to firmly hold on to this. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I want people to have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to be as a church. It is about salvation. Salvation is the byproduct of lordship, though. You see, God saves us, but God is not first a savior. Jesus is not first a savior. Jesus is first Lord. Because he becomes our Lord, he saves us. And that is the gospel. And people have to know that. The world needs this. Look at our world. Where's the honor that used to exist? There's no honor. There's no honor anywhere. There's no honor in politics. There's no honor in media. There's no honor in sports. There's no, on, there's no honor coming from the White House, quite honestly. There's no honor. Where are the values? 
that this country was established in. You get on the news, people are groping each other and shooting each other. There's hate everywhere. This Vegas shooting, they still don't know the motive. They don't know why this happened. Why is this going on? I'll tell you why. It's demonic. The enemy is working overtime to destroy, to kill, to steal. And the church has to be awake and see that salvation matters. The church that God sees is a place that you find your identity in Christ. A place that you find your identity in Christ. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. So whoever has God's son has life. Whoever does not have his son does not have life. I write this to you who believe in the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you know that you're sure of this. Let me survey the room. How many of you are married in here? How many of you are married in this place? Okay. How many of you are single? Raise them high. Raise them high. I'm trying to help you out now. Look around. Sing. No, keep them up, single people. Keep them up. Keep them up. Come on now. I know some of y'all are here scoping and hoping this morning. I know you're here. doing. That's okay. Single people, raise your hands. I'm helping you one more time. Raise your hand. Some, you won't do it now. I tried to help you out. Here's what I noticed. So when I asked that question, there wasn't confusion. Like, am I married? I'm not sure. Am I single? Oh, I don't know. Well, there could be some confusion about that. Uh, but for the most part, the answer to the question is clear. And I think the answer to whether or not you are saved and a son or daughter of the King of Kings needs to be clear too. There's no confusion in it. God wants you to have that confidence and that assuredness like that you know, because if you don't know, if you don't know, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't have your identity, you will wear your soul out trying to live for other people. You will exhaust yourself. One of my favorite artists said it this way, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. And I see a lot of people doing this. And the only way that we can be the church that God has called us to be is we have to firmly know who we are in Jesus. I've had people so insecure about who they are. Look, Jesus was not insecure about who he was. When somebody would ask him, these are some of the things that he said. Like, who are you? I am. What? I am. What was he? He said, I'm the vine. I'm the door. I'm the bread. I don't need anybody to tell me who I am. I know who I am. And this is what God wants us to be in him too. You're created in the image of God. You're created in his image. So I'll hear people every once in a while, I'm just trying to find myself right now. I'm just spending some time finding myself. You ain't ever going to find yourself. You got to find the creator. You got to find the creator. If you know who you are in Jesus, you will know who you are. You won't have to find yourself. You find Jesus. If you find Jesus, you're going to know who you are. If something breaks around your house, if your washer or dryer stops working, who are you going to call? Call the manufacturer because they know the most about your washer or dryer. 
Some of y'all aren't calling your manufacturer to find out what's going on. And you need to. He's your creator. He knows every intricate, intimate detail of who you are and what you need. If you will spend time seeking Jesus, you're going to know exactly who you are. We have to be a church that helps people find their identity in Christ. Y'all are quiet up in this house. But I hope you're getting the message. John 13, 3 through 5 says this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, so he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Man, this is so strong. You see, because when you really know who you are and you're confident about who you are, what you realize is it's not about you. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He had all authority on heaven and in earth. And he knew that from that place, the only thing to do then is to serve. It's to go and love other people. It's to take on the lowest of positions. To let other people experience love and grace. And that's what God is asking us to do. Because when we know who we are in Christ, that is the only way that we can effectively reach and serve our city and community. We have to know who we are in Christ. The church God sees. The church that God sees is a church that you love. It's a church that you love. We wanted to have a church that you would be proud to invite your friends to. Like I went to churches that I knew I was supposed to invite people to church, but I was fearful every time trying to invite somebody. Because I was like, man, I, won't, I know you, I'm supposed to ask you to come to church, but let me check on what's happening this weekend before I ask you because I'm just not real sure. One of our statements from the very beginning is we wanted to be a place where you could bring in your friends so that they may become fully devoted followers of Christ. Your friends, the people you're living life with. We want to be a church where we love God. We love each other and we love life. We wanted to be a place though where people would be planted in the things of God. Not just a place where people are like, oh, that's a cool church. We don't want to be a cool church. I mean, we want to be a cool church, but not if that's all we are. It says this in Psalm 92, 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of God. Planted, planted around the things of God. If you uproot a plant too often and move it, it'll die. It's just coming in and, and, and planting your, your roots in a Sunday service and then cutting it up and moving it out and then just waiting for the next Sunday. It's not going to help you grow. Eventually, it won't be enough. You'll dry up spiritually. You need relationships. The house of God is not a building. The house of God is the bride of Christ. It's community. It's relationships. 
can only flourish if you're planted. Here's the thing. We have a lot of talent in our church. I'm thankful for that. How many are thankful for our worship team and, and just the talent, the, the people that are running production? We have people that are serving in classrooms and, and people. It's amazing. Like, there's times when I'll be in worship. I'll get done worshiping and I'm like, oh yeah, now I've got to go do something because I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. The presence of God and just that he's given us these incredible people. But at the end of the day, Talent doesn't save people. Talent doesn't change lives. It takes the presence of God. But God honors it when we are planted in him. When we're taking ownership of the kingdom of God. So there's been times when I've, I've sat in your place, like when I, when I wasn't speaking and, I, and I, was, I was another person on staff and Pastor Rick would give us vision and all this and I was like, okay, but what do, what do I need to do? I want to give you. I want to give you what we want you to do. But all of it centers around this. It centers, it has to start with first you saying, I own it. I own it. I own it. This isn't the church I go to. It's my church. This is my church. These are my people. This is my family. Because you could come here for the rest of your life and rent what we do here. You can just come in here and rent a service. Like, oh, that was nice. But like, just return it when you're done. Look, anything that's rented is never gonna be as nice or as good as fulfilling as something that is owned. If you look at a house, a rental house, when you look at a rental house, is it as nice as a house that's owned? No, because the people that live in a rental house don't care about that place because it's not theirs. They're not owning it. They're not invested in it. It's the same thing with a car. When you rent a car, let's be honest, how many of you treat rental cars really, really well? I don't. I drive them hard. I ride the brakes hard. Every time the light turns green, I push the pedal as hard as I can. I don't drive my car that way. Like I drive a rental car, a little fry falls underneath the seat. I'm gonna let that baby marinate for a while, permeate, create a smell in there. Not in my car, I'm gonna keep it clean. I will be up under there with a flashlight finding that Cheerio because I own it. I have value in it. The same thing applies to God's vision, to God's house and to God's kingdom. You can rent it from now until Jesus comes back. We will love you, accept you and give you a chair in this place. We want you to know ultimately, we want the person that's sitting in your chair to own what we do around here because it's people that own what we do around here that help us reach the loss, that help us see the kingdom of God advanced in our city and community. How can you own it? First of all, I'm asking you to just pray. Pray for the vision. Pray for the staff. Pray for Pastor Rick, that God continues to guide him in wisdom and in grace to do everything that he's asking him to do. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. I've got people, I've got a team of people that pray for me. And I'm telling you, they do an incredible job, but I am messed up. I am not a very good leader. I need prayer. So please pray, pray for the staff, pray for people who volunteer around here. Pray for the people who are leading this thing. I'm also asking you to serve the vision of New Life Church. Serve it, serve it. Look, imagine what it'd been like if you showed up to service today and there were three people serving. I'm telling you, we wouldn't be having church right now. There's just no way, it's impossible. First of all, I won't do church like that. I'll quit. I'm not gonna do church like that, it'll kill me. 
we have hundreds of people. On average, I think we have right around 180 to 200 people every service that are serving in so many different capacities. But some of you, you see how well things are run. You walk in like, man, they got this thing covered. I guess I don't need to do anything. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. We might be all right where we're at, but this is not where we're staying. We got more to do. We got more people to reach. We got more campuses to plant. And so we need more people to help serve the vision. So I'm asking you to serve the vision. I'm also asking you to give to the vision of New Life Church. We have always been a church. We don't pressure people. We don't manipulate people. We don't make people feel condemnation and whatever because they don't give. But for us, it's not about whether or not you're given to make it happen. It's about your heart. Because we know that when you're invested in it, it's going to be better for you. Does it take money to turn on lights? Yeah. It's hot in the South. How many of y'all are thankful for some AC? Okay. It takes money to run those things. And we're aware of that. But we really just want your heart. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He knows your money is a representation of that. But imagine if we would not be sitting here today if people weren't faithfully giving. Some of you, you haven't been around this church very long. You're sitting in a nice building in a comfortable seat, but somebody else sacrificed and gave so that you could be here doing this right now. Imagine where we'd be as a church if like three people gave. Like throughout the whole, I'll tell you where we'd be. We wouldn't be fulfilling the vision that God has given us. We have people that give. It's crazy to imagine We need people that give because it would be like you going into a restaurant, you order a big meal, enjoy yourself, and then just get up and walk out the doors. Not only is that incredibly rude, it's illegal. Don't do that. But I also don't think we should do that at the table of God. God is helping us. He's feeding us. He's helping us feed others. Let's be invested in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to pray for you this morning because all this, the heart of God. Look, I know, I know when when God moves in your life, you're going to do the other things. You're going to own it. You're going to serve. You're going to pray. You're going to give. You're going to do these things. But I know it starts with this. It starts with the most important thing on God's heart, and that is people knowing who they are in him. It comes with finding an identity in Jesus. And every weekend, every weekend, with very, very few exceptions, we give an opportunity for people to come face to face with the reality of heaven and hell, with the reality of of where they're gonna spend eternity, but also the reality of whether or not they're fulfilling their purpose now, whether or not they're actually living life with peace and real joy, because apart from Jesus, it's impossible. Apart from Jesus, it's not just that you would go to hell. Apart from Jesus, you don't even really get to live a great life here. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today, you've never surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him today. Nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to boldly declare and confess that that is you. If that's you, put your hand up. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I want to know who I'm praying for this morning. Got it right here. Yes. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? I need to get right with Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I want to make him my Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. Got it. Anybody else? Anybody else? Got it. 
Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Praise God. For every person, raise your hand. Look, the word says, if you will confess me before man, then I'll confess you before my father. You raise your hand. I think that's so important because it's just an act of faith. At one point or another, you need to go public with this decision. I would encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is over. But, but water baptism is one of the ways that the Lord showed us that we can go public, that we've, we're a follower of Christ. I'd encourage you to do that. But right there in your chair, I want you just to talk to him. And just say this. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that you didn't stay dead, Jesus. You defeated my sin. You defeated death. You rose from the grave. And right now, I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord. I want you to have control. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live for the world. I want to live according to your plan and purpose. I want to live according to your word. Thank you for saving me from my sin. Thank you for giving me eternal life in you. Help me to understand my purpose. I want to grow in my identity and who I am in you to have confidence to walk out everything that you would ask me to do. I surrender my life to you now, Jesus. God, I thank you that you've called us to be a church that sees clearly your kingdom, that sees clearly the realities of eternity, and that you've called us to do our part in the body of Christ to help reach souls, for people to find salvation, for people to find their identity in you, and for people to find fulfillment in living the life that you've called them to. Thank you for your grace. Everything that has happened is because of you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. Be lifted high in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think we had eight or ten people raise their hand to give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's give him glory for that this morning.